You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. On today's episode, I sit down with an interview with Denise Circle Mama Holiday. Now, this is my 50th episode, so I have waited to utilize this opportunity to interview my co-founder and one of my great friends in the work that we do at National Educators for Restorative Practices. And so Denise and I sit down to reminisce uh, a little bit about the first 50 episodes along with talking about the impact of the work that we do, our personal growth, and some just personal um, connections that we've been able to make over the years. So thanks for tuning in to making it to our 50th episode. I will tell you, I really did not think I'd get here when I first started this podcast, but I'm really excited that despite some maybe uh, the opportunities that we haven't released on a regular basis lately, or that we've been able to struggle, that we've made it to 50 episodes and that you have made it with us. So, hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. Ladies and gentlemen, we have made it to episode 50 of our first year of the podcast, and I could not think of a better guest. You have heard her before as my co-pilot, co-guest, and co-founder, Denise Circle Mama Holiday. Welcome to the show, Denise. Woo-hoo, number 50. We getting up there, brother. Hello, everybody. So glad to be here. Oh, my goodness. Well, I welcome Denise to the show. And before we get started, just like every episode, we want to do just a couple. We're just going to do a couple of GTKY questions. And Denise, will just kind of bounce them back and forth. So, Denise, what kind of question you got for me? All right, Kevin, here's one for you. So you are creating your ultimate Sunday. I want to know what you're putting on it. It's real simple, friend. Be real honest with you. It's going to have like hot fudge or chocolate, chocolate syrup or hot fudge, either one of those. And to be simple, just a little bit of like, you know, like peanuts, sprinkled peanuts and a little bit of whipped cream. I'm real simple. That's it. You asked me now, right? Yeah, no, I was just, I was just making sure. I thought you were going to make a comment. Okay. So, all right, Denise, all right. So, Denise, Denise, you ever heard of that thing where you can actually buy a star? So, if you could, like, they literally tell people you could buy a star and you get this thing, a plaque and the name. So, if you could buy a star, what would you name it? Gladys. Okay. Gladys, because immediately when you thought about, when you said star and buying a star, I thought of my grandmother. Oh, so awesome. Gladys is her name. So I just thought, oh, Gladys. I there don't, you go. I don't know. Never heard of that. That must be something that I don't know about. That's, I, that's I you. You, you, whatever. you. Don't, don't even know go there. You don't know where I'm start. going. Don't even don't start there. Brand new with me. Don't, whatever. <laughs> All right. Next question. Let's go. <laughs> okay. So next question is, if you could spend the day with one person um, that you haven't seen in a while, who are you spending it with? John Whalen, he just called me yesterday. I haven't talked to him in months. We were able to just reconnect. And so, yeah, he's he's the first one on my brain. There'd be plenty of people, but John Whalen is something, someone that I miss dearly. He's a great friend, a great colleague, and 
and, and someone that I just miss having conversations with. So it'd be great to share share a beer or a drink with him if he can make it down to Austin. So John Whalen, heads up. Miss you, brother. I know, right? I miss all those connections with all of them. John and all of our big trainings and hanging out, traveling. Oh, yes. All right. So Denise, if Avery was going to cook you a meal, and this is Avery is her daughter, folks. So if Avery's going to cook you a meal and you know how Avery eats, right? What is her, what is her lifestyle again? She's vegan. She's vegan. So if Avery's going to cook you a vegan meal, what would you want it to be? Um, Avery makes this really good oatmeal that I have looked at from a distance. And the more and more I see her eating that and I'm looking at first, I was like, oh, my God, that does not look like it is anything that I want in my body because it's healthy. But the more and more I look at it and she makes it all pretty. It's oatmeal with fruit. She puts turmeric in it. No butter, of course. <laughs> no sugar, of course. But I would most definitely try it. And that girl, let me tell you what she did. She got me to go vegan for a week. Okay. Like, so how, what, vegetarian. I'm with you. Vegan. So how was that for you for a week? Actually, it started off kind of rough. I told you about it. No big red. And guess what? Here's the one thing that I still have left from it. Okay. Water. Oh, like I have not had a big red since I went that whole week. (laughs) Um, I was in the kitchen throwing down straight, clean eating. I felt really good, man. I like I even was like had on my leggings. You know, big girls don't usually wear leggings like me. But baby, I was sporting them leggings, feeling really good about it. <laughs> oh my god, that is awesome! Oh uh, yeah. Oh my good. god, it was good. Well, that is kind of the GTKY abrupt version of our show today because Denise and I have a lot to talk about. But hey, before you really dive into today's episode, we have a couple things that are really going on that we're excited about. We're still NEDRP, transforming that slow transformation to relationship-centered learning. So we've got a couple opportunities. One, join our Facebook group. All you have to do is head over to our website at rclfirst.com. You can click on a link and you can join our Facebook group. Second one, you can also go and join Denise circling three times a week. And if you want to join those circles, we've had people, you know, Denise, recently you've had a few people that really surprised you. Didn't you have some people like further outside of our, usually where our circle of of connections where didn't you have some people show up recently for a circle from somewhere else? We have people from Georgia, the country. We also had people from, man, I can't even remember. Was it Amsterdam? Okay. Showed up. We've had people from all over. We get new friends every week and it just amazes me. Uh-huh. And what amazes me is that they're finding out like in ways they're talking to a friend who one was listening to your podcast and they told them about your podcast and Circle. They heard about it there. But also some articles. Like a lady said, they Googled Circle. And she found out that there was like virtual circles on Facebook. And she just decided to join to see what it was all about. Well, let's stay there for a second. I'll bring up the, the, the virtual conference and that and stuff in a minute. So when you, if somebody was a listener and they've never thought, well, then maybe they thought about it or even haven't considered or considered but haven't done it. What would be something that you could help describe what that circle looks like and what those experiences look like for the educators that show up that don't really know anything about us, that just show up from Amsterdam going, hi, I didn't know what this was going to be like. So I don't want to sound cliche, but this is keeping it 100. 
community. We have built such a tight-knit community in these virtual circles that it kind of feels like family coming together. We haven't seen each other in a while. Some showed up and thought, oh my God, I have to know about restorative. I have to do this in my class or with my students. Um, And no, you don't have to have any experience with circle. You don't have to know anything about restorative practices or uh, relationship-centered learning. If you want to show up and connect with other educators across the world and find out what's going on, have a little fun doing it, Virtual Educator Circle is where it is. So what are some of the takeaways that you, I know you you and I talk all the time, So, but I, I'm trying to reflect on some of those conversations where you said, man, some of these educators today left feeling this, like it was either really like, like therapeutic or almost to the point where like I felt heard, but I also felt like it was fun. I mean, what are some of the, what are some of the takeaways that some of the educators are taking away from some of those circles? A lot of educators uh, being really honest are struggling trying to figure out how to connect with their students in a pandemic. And so when they showed up and saw, is it really that simple to connect with students and they're on the other side of a screen, being able to like figure out what that looks like, sounds like, or feels like was eye-opening for one of the educators that showed up. She was like, I just didn't even think that this could be possible. And in fact, I really wanted to show up because someone told me about it to say, oh, there's no way that can happen. You, You cannot connect with kids on a virtual circle. And she really was blown away and bought and that it could be done. Um, it really filled her bucket. And what was surprising is in that circle, she got really emotional at a time. I don't remember what the question was that we asked. We were talking about self and stress and how we manage it. And she said she was not a very open person like to share her struggles with other people like me. Like, I'm going to keep it in because I have to be the strong one. But she said it was something that she felt that just allowed her to like, it just rolled out of her mouth. She said, I can't believe I just shared that with complete strangers and I'm getting emotional about it. Mm-hmm. She was like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it's really a connection that's hard to explain. Once you uh, get there, you really get to that experience that comes from it. You have a sense of wanting to take that back to your campus, to your students, or, you know, even your family that you're not able to see right now. Yeah. Well, I think you just, you know, you and I talk with so many people on a variety of different ways. I think what you just talked about were some powerful words for me. You use the word explain. It's hard to explain unless you experience. And as I look back at our history and what what we're trying to do and what we've been doing at schools... I think that kind of summarizes uh, the the hurdles that we, that you know, people can say, so what do you do for a living? I uh, train teachers and students how to build relationships with each other. What does that look like? You know, well, you're this and you're like, but then, but then once they, once they participate in some of the tools or the opportunities, like you said, it, it's, it's okay to read it. It's okay to watch the video. It's okay to listen to us, break it down. But until you actually sit, and participate in one of these connection tools, it's really hard for you to go, ah, okay, now I get it, because you didn't see it coming, 
just like I didn't see it coming, just like those educators didn't see it coming. Next thing you know, you're drawn in to connect with other people that you didn't even think you were even going to talk to, you know, five minutes ago, 10 minutes ago, whatever. And then before you know it, you're just in this bubble of community and you're connecting. And then all of a sudden you realize like, holy cow, I just cried or I just shared something. So I say that not to scare educators that people are going to cry. I just think that sometimes we don't realize once we get in that bubble of a community and we really feel safe, we feel valued, we feel trusted, and we feel like somebody will listen to me. It's amazing really what comes out. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. And I don't know if you remember this conversation. We did a CSRP in Houston and there was an educator there who showed up and she was ready. Like she showed up because that was three days that she could be off her campus. Like, I just don't want to be on campus. That was the reason she showed up. And what she said to me, being able to like be rejuvenated and understand like the depth of what it really means to connect with someone else. She said, I was ready to put in my notice to quit. Right. And so to come to this training and understand not only the theory, but also experience that sense of connection to where it recharged her to say, you know what, I think I can do this. Maybe I'm I'm trying to do too much to fix this kid over here or to connect with that teacher when I can just take a step back and calm and be simple. I was thinking the other day, riding in the car, I was like, you know, we focus so much when we walk in a room. Think about this. I want you to think about it. When we walk in the room, we walk in and what is that visual? We see people there. What do we notice? We notice the things that are different. We notice, oh, I probably don't have anything in common with that person. Or, oh yeah, they they like jeans. I like skirts, right? Or they look this way, that look, they I look this way. But until you take that time to connect, is when you really get that opportunity to see, dang, we got a lot in common with the guy wearing the cowboy hat and the lady over here, you know, yes, think about it. You walk in a room, we see people, uh, that's kind of different. I don't know if I'm gonna go to that section, maybe uh, they're talking about something else, but if we pause and really get to know, like we do at the beginning of the show, get to know each other, boy, we have way more in common than we do different. Well, and I think that's what our tools are designed to point those people. And so they realize like it's like a compass, everybody's spinning, looking for a direction. And after you listen and you hear people, you realize like we're all pointing in the area that we're all struggling in something, right? I mean, I like jeans, but I like skirts, but I all like queso or, you know, whatever it is that you do, we start pointing in that direction. So I'm going to circle back because you brought up naturally a CSRP. So for our listeners that are not familiar with a CSRP, it is not only a great way to escape a campus for three days. (laughs) I'm joking. Uh, It's our three-day training. It's called the Certified Specialist in Restorative Practices. And we actually have one coming up in June, June 22nd, 23rd, and 24th in Austin, Texas, you will have a link that you can go to our NEDRP page or our RCL page, either one, and you can get a link on any of those pages at at rclfirst.com or nedrp.com, and you can click on a link and you can join our three-day CSRP. Now, that three-day CSRP is going to be in person. It's going to be limited to 30 people. 
we will have enough space to have social distancing. We will have thermometers. We will have hand sanitizers, a lot of safety taken into social distancing. Uh, Masks are definitely uh, optional for those of you who want to feel comfortable with it. So all of this is going to happen. But in the middle of this pandemic, we're still going to offer a three-day live training. And that's going to be June 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. Now, if you say, what is that training? It's everything that we have, we throw it at you. The first day is all going to be about the introduction of the mindset. And then it's going to break down a majority of our proactive tools. Then day two is really about circles, how to be successful and sustain community building circles in the way that we build and unpack circles. And then day three is how do we respond to student misbehaviors, uh, challenging uh, behaviors, and then we leave you with what we have developed called differentiated discipline. So it's all, all of our content and curriculum packed into three days. So when you think back on our three-day trainings, Denise, what would you kind of tell people that just to give them an idea of what an example of participating in that three-day training would look like? So a three-day, uh, participating in three-day training, of course, you're going to get lots of content. But I think the thing that allows our educators to leave and go back and provide uh, connections with their students is the experiences. Um, we're going to walk them through each tool, really break it down so they, one, understand it. Two, they get to model that tool we broke down. Um, and then three, they get to kind of sit in our place and facilitate unpacking that tool for others. So we're hitting on three points. You get to experience, you get to model, and then you get to unpack as if you're teaching that or showing someone else, i.e. your students. But also, you're going to have a little fun. We know how to turn up at our CPSRPs. <laughs> we turn up, yes, we do. And connections, a big room of nothing but networking with other educators across the state or nation, doing great things for kids. No, I agree. I think it, I think it's it's spending three consecutive days. I know it's hard, but what we have found out when you continue momentum and you continue to build community while still receiving the content and then getting the opportunity to practice the tools in small groups with small group facilitators, I mean, you're getting the best of all the worlds that we can give you. We're giving you the opportunity to connect not only with us, but with the people in your group. And that's in your small group and in the entire room. That's why we're also keeping it to 30 because we feel like that's a comfortable number that people will want to be around with particularly the space. So we've got enough space to actually hold 50, but we're going to be putting 30 in there. But then we're giving you the content the way that we unpack the content in that real form and then the ability to go practice it and then take a deeper dive in it. So there's just so many different ways that you get to put your hands on and with and around and all the things that we do. So we believe it's our most powerful training. So again, that's going to be in June 22nd, 23rd, and 24th in Austin, Texas. So the seg back way here, we typically have a regular conference. We've had it every year, and we typically have it in November. Well, with the pandemic, we have pushed that off, and we are now into February. And if I believe the dates, we are into February 17th and 18th and 19th. I think I can't remember if we're doing. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's the, the last weekend before President's Day. And so we will have a link for that. And that will be in Irvine, Texas, but that's not going to be till 2022. So what we decided to do was do a virtual conference coming up this July, July 13th and 14th. So save the date 
for February 2022. But we, what we want to do is we want to get speakers and we want people to take this opportunity since we're kind of living in a virtual world right now is to have we're going to host a virtual conference and it's not going to be all day. It's going to be a modified day where you're going to get a chance to hear four breakout sessions a day. We're going to have an award ceremony. We're going to have uh, keynotes, different speakers. We're developing all of that right now. But July 13th and 14th gives us an opportunity to unpack who we are, what we do, and bring in so many powerful speakers July 13th and 14th. So Denise, if I said, who does Circle Mama want to make sure that she says, hey, we need to have this person speak at our conference in July, who's one person that's up on your radar that we need to make sure that we get to a, the conference in July, the virtual one? Oh boy, one person. Well, you know where I'm going. Well, Go I ahead. I need the students, man. <laughs> I need those students. But see, if we're not thinking about students, I think the most powerful voice in the room is students. They teach us so much. Sometimes we as educators can step back a little bit and allow ourselves to be the student to student. Mm -hmm. They can teach us so much how to reach them, educate them, empower them. But for adults, sometimes that can be really hard to say, all right, I'm going to sit back and learn from the student. So students, number one. Number two, I'd like to see, again, uh, Joe Beckman. Of course, when we had Ron Clark, it was great. Oh, my gosh. What's the Joe, principal name? Which oh, one? I, I, just, I just drew a blank. That's uh, okay. James Whitfield. James. Oh, Whitfield. James Whitfield. He just texted yeah. me today. Check it on me. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, Good no, Whitfield. I think. Yeah, James, I think those are all great people that we could potentially get to come speak at our conference. And so we're still developing our, who our keynote's going to be. We're still figuring all those pieces out. Hopefully by the time this launches, we've got some of those pieces filled in. But I'm with you. I, I loved having the Student Connection Conference where we had students' voices there. So I do believe that we need to handpick some, some powerful students to be able to send messages to those adults that participate in it. Because if they don't listen to the podcast and they haven't, they didn't go to our last conference, then maybe they are missing out on the value of the student voice. What ideas did you have of, of, of presenting? Well, no, no, I'm with you. I, I think you and I think alike. I guess what I was gonna, I was gonna ask you though is, let's segue back to the podcast and the students because for those of you that don't know, I rely heavily on Denise to really bring those student voices in because she's, constantly out there in the community and she's learning with other educators on who has powerful voices. So a lot of the students that we've interviewed on the on this show have been because of Denise and which is why we also like to bring Denise on because Denise just helps us make that connection. Denise is such, she's like the heartbeat. I'm the brain sometimes, Denise is the heartbeat of who we are and what we do. So let me ask you a question, Denise, as we reflect, this is 50 episodes in First of all, I never thought I'd get five, let alone 10, 15, 20, or 30, but here we are at 50. So when you reflected 50 episodes in, Denise, and you think back, what are some of your memorable moments? I'm not asking you what, you know, what, but what are some of the things that you would stand out about our 50 episodes that we've been able to produce so far? So the first thing that stands out for me is what a hot mess episode one was with you and I <laughs> that did not get aired. Okay, okay. Number one, that's okay. the hell. Well, hold on. Let me, let me, let, hold on, hold that. Okay, oh so hold up, God. hold up. All right, so here I'm we are. Okay, all right, we'll go there for a second. All right, so when I was going to start this podcast, extremely nervous, have never done this. 
I told Denise, I said, man, I got to have you as the first guest because I got to have somebody I'm comfortable with. She was like, absolutely, we'll do this, right? We recorded it. We, you know, we did the GTKY. We were, you know, and almost to a certain point, a little bit too sterile for what we were, you know, like a little, not scripted, but just like we were trying. I don't know what we were trying, but we were trying to be something that either one of us were not. So what's so funny is Denise and I were technically episode one. But then we looked at it and listened to it together and we were like, I don't I don't think we could be episode number but, one. What were we talking about? What we were like, I was like, what we were like, <laughs> I was like, I think Joe Beckman will be a really good episode number you one. Know what, Kevin, let me tell you something. I was so nervous. And why was I so we're besties, we're buds, we talk almost <laughs> every day. And so it's you and I sitting here chatting about the things that we love doing, but it felt so forced. And my heart, why is my heart racing? And I'm sitting up <laughs> looking at my brother on screen. Like, what the heck? But I think it was just that we didn't know what that was going to look like. And to just sit in that, what's a podcast? What direction are we going? What do, what do we want others to know? And maybe I was trying to cram everything in one episode because I wanted everybody to know all the juices but just being me is all I can do now so that's what y'all getting today y'all getting me (laughs) well the other thing is think about it this was very at the very beginning kind of of our virtual type of platforms that we were utilizing and so I've said this and you felt it you're doing circles three times a week now you're connecting with people on a regular basis virtual you're holding some parent trainings for people virtually like your, just your comfort alone being on screen has grown tremendously. Yeah. And me also just hosting the podcast, it has made me more comfortable. So here we are 50 episodes in, we're more comfortable. We at least have an idea of who we are and where we are and what we're doing on, on this virtual setting and on the podcast. And so, so if we go back beyond us jacking up episode number one that will never, ever be released, What were some other highlights of the first 50 episodes that you liked that you stand out? Uh, One of the big highlights for me, we we interviewed uh, a student, Gloria. I don't know if we released it yet. It's supposed to be out and I don't want to spoil it. It'll be out before this, Denise, so so you can go ahead. Good. She really, it resonated with me. So here we go back to talking about students and adults or educators. We think we have nothing in common. But it really resonated with me because she talked about taking out the trash in terms of those relationships that are not healthy for us, right? Right. Um, Keep going back to it and trying to fix it, trying to make it work. And all the while we're doing that, we're devaluing ourselves Mm -hmm. and not recognizing what our worth is. And it took a student to say to me, sometimes you have to take out the trash And just leave it there. And I think what in her mind, what she was saying, and she explained it to me is, if it's not good for you, get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's trash. Not the person per se as a human being, but it's not good for you in your life. Leave it. So stop looking. She told me, honey, just take it to the trash and leave it. Don't go check and see if the trash man came and picked it up. It's out there for a reason. (laughs) That resonated with me coming from a student to have so much insight about what's good for her and how to look at that. She shared that with me and I hope others can get 
a really good message about valuing yourself. Absolutely. No, I think Gloria was, she was such a fun interview. And the fact that one, she teaches sex to, 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 to youth, I think yeah. was something that I'm glad we addressed and we brought to the forefront because it is, it's so needed because a lot of our students are out there just guessing or listening or watching something they shouldn't be watching or looking at things that they shouldn't be like, like watching to learn. That's why I went to ask her, I said, all right, I'm going to go there. What's that? What's that weirdest sex question you got? And when she brought it up, like, yeah, can you get pregnant from anal sex? I was just like, okay, that just shows you where our students' brains are at because they need to really understand that. So Gloria was awesome. So I'm going to throw out, obviously, I think, you know, we, we picked Joe Beckman to really be the launch of it. I just think Joe Beckman, the human connector, when he really started talking about being teachers, being extraordinary and just need to be ordinary, these nuggets that I've gotten in the first 50 episodes, 49 episodes up to this one, right? They're just so simple, but profound, like taking out the trash, right? Ordinary versus extraordinary. Dave Stewart's moments of genuine connection. When we talk about Marine, Marine Palero talking about, you know- That was a great one. Routines and relationships. Routines and relationships give you regulation. You know, just like these little mic drops and dime moments that I'm just like made the work that we do. It it, it just oversimplified, so oversimplified it, but also explained it in ways that I just didn't have that vocabulary. What else are your thoughts? Kevin, I want you to think about all the nuggets that we received from the podcast. Like we're not just here doing a podcast because we think it's fun and it's great. Like think about what we did with it. Like we went back and really like, looked at those pieces of information that they gave us and tried to think, how can we update? How can we bring to life some of what we're doing so that educators understand it? Like the whole ordinary and extraordinary thing. I never thought of it like that. I always thought like, I'm an extraordinary person, but it really is about being ordinary. If you're that person that might not be comfortable asking your students questions about certain things. I can just, it says, I can just be myself ordinary and find a question I can ask that's fun. That for me was, But yeah, but then, but then that's why I say, then Joe turns around and says, but if you don't know how to be ordinary, then do the F-O-R-D. Speak about your family and occupation, recreation, a dream. So not only did he kind of give us the extraordinary versus ordinary, he gave us how to do it then. And I think that right there was huge because I, when I reflect on the work that we do, the comments and the takeaways, when somebody says, man, I have been preaching and teaching about relationships for 20 years in education, but what myself as a principal and what my staff are getting today is how to do that. And I never really looked at it, Denise. I was like, so that's what we do for a living. We teach them how to do this. What, you, what was your saying? You know what I just thought What's that? Hearing you say that when you talked about ordinary and extraordinary. So when we first started this work, you know how much of a hard time I had speaking to other people, being in front of other people, articulating what it is I want to say and need to. Like I was terrified. I would step up there and the words wouldn't even come out of my mouth. And I think what was happening with myself, seeing so many people out there stand up and present information to others, Mm -hmm. I think I was trying to be extraordinary. 
extraordinary, when really it's that ordinary in me that is genuine, that people can really connect more with. It was that fear of not being accepted or good enough. Mm -hmm. And so I was pushing to be more than I was. But you know what? My ordinary old me is good enough. And I have learned that throughout the years and being able to understand genuinely how to connect through my ordinary self. No, I, I, first of all, I think that's what we all knew about you because that's what resonated the first time I met you was like, this woman is extraordinary. And you're like, this guy's extraordinary. And both of us were intimidated by what we were perceiving from the other person, right? And it wasn't until we were able to get together and really realize our strengths are what you have. You have the ability to humanly connect in such a short amount of time with strangers. Forget about people at a training that are there to learn how to connect. You know, you mentioned the, the one with the cowboy hat. What was that story about the guy with the cowboy hat? So we, that was Arlington. And okay. that was one of our first trainings, remember? And so he was in our circle and we were having conversation. We really went in deep and he got, he shared some really personal stuff about his family. At the time, we were in a political stress of the country, but we were able to have some real, very transparent conversations and keeping it 100. That group, we connected so well. Then there came a point in the training where we had to go model one of those make it right circles in the front of, of everybody. And so it was my group that was chosen and he was there. He was so uncomfortable to be there. I mean, he was like, uh, I want to go back over there in that corner with all the people I really got to meet because these people right here, I don't even think I know them. These aren't the people... I really met and I got to know over there in that corner. Yeah, and he was a stern, buff, like cowboy, cowboy had. And he really, he went there. He was like, I cannot believe that I'm so connected to so many people that I don't look like. And he said, like, not very many black males do I have this deep of a conversation with, but I can look at this man across from me in this moment and see him as my brother. That's mm -hmm. profound to happen in such a short period of time. I think that's what, and I'm not gonna use words we take for granted, but we get because we experience that almost every time, right? We, there is very few opportunities that we go into, whether it's a full day or multi-day training where we're all of a sudden, we're like, we know what's gonna happen in the room because we see it happen every single time. I think it's the astonishment of the group or individuals, sorry, individuals in the group that are like, this ain't for me. This is kumbaya. This is that connection crap. I ain't going to do it. And before you know it, their arms go from crossed, right? Now they're uncrossed. Now they're leaning in. Now all of a sudden they're, shit, they're listening. And before you know it, like you said, they're drawn into that bubble of that community and they forget what's around them. They forget that they're at a training and all of a sudden, they're just having conversation like they're ordinary, right? And they're sharing something about themselves. And then they hear somebody else share something about themselves. And then by the time they get done, they're like, dang. And then we're like, so imagine if you could do this in this amount of time. 
Imagine what your students could experience if you gave this a little bit of time. And I think that's where some of the light bulbs are like, oh my God, I never thought of it like that. Having a whole semester, let's say a whole semester to do, let's don't even say semester. Imagine having a whole nine weeks to take your students through experiences like that. You have mm-hmm. them every day. You just showed up to this training for eight hours and you got it. Uh, imagine students having that for nine weeks. What type of tight-knit community you can build in your classroom? A place where students really feel like they belong. Because I think that's all students really want. As we did a lot of interviews with our students on the podcast, they talked a lot about like wanting to know that they belong somewhere, that the teacher seen them, heard them, that the teacher cared about them. And they don't even know what we do. We just asked them to come on the podcast and there they are spitting all of the things that we talk about on a regular basis in our trainings. Yeah. None of those kids have ever been to one of our trainings. And so the closest Avi having her mom just be in our training, but Avi's never been to one of our trainings. So I think you're right, which is why we really love interviewing students just in that direction, because they all say the same thing. They want to feel valued, seen, heard and trusted. And so it's just crazy how we do that. So if I circle back intentionally using that word, so when I met Denise, it was all about circles. So as I entered the restorative arena, Denise was in there. I was more of a lead, well, partial lead presenter. And then I started leading more and became that type of position. We were both working for the University of Texas and Texas Education Agency as subcontractors and our worlds collided. But all I know is Denise was able to facilitate circles around me. You, You were so beyond proficient Circle was what I call, the reason I gave you the nickname Circle Mama was because it was like your baby. Like you cared for it, you nurtured it. I facilitated it. No, you nurtured it, you loved on it, you hugged on it. And when your people would leave their group, y'all are like taking pictures, exchanging <laughs> phone numbers. Y'all are like, woo, we're best friends. My loop, my group is leaving like, hey, this was great. You know, Thank you, Kevin. You know, it was all nice to meet you. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, how come... Like, and then if my group bled over to your group, I'm losing my group over there. I'm just like, okay, what does this woman have? So, so I still have connections with them today. That's how we got Demo. I know. So that's what I'm trying to say. So Denise to me is probably the most amazing person at facilitating conversations, particularly in the shape of a circle. Denise can do it with a stranger sitting next to her at at a restaurant. But the idea is that when we do circles, Denise is so above, beyond, and proficient in this. She is amazing in this. And so when we started realizing you had this strength, this superpower within you, right? Then when we met John Whalen, who I mentioned earlier, from um, he is now a principal up in the Northeast. He was at Binghamton, and he lives in Conklin, New York. And so when we were meeting John and we started to connect with John, we started to see John's passion rise and your skills, skill level, and they started, you, you guys started to make a connection. And then John and I had pitched the idea. John had become so like a craft of circles. And we've already had him on the podcast. So they know about John and the book. But I want you to talk a little bit about the book. And I want you to talk about how you and John, because you were really nervous. And I'm going to use air quotes to write a book. And so talk about that little bit of how John made you comfortable and how he made some recordings of you and how we were able to interweave you into the book and to make you part of being a published author. 
Let's share a little bit about that story. I can't even, I still can't believe it, even imagine that I can call myself a published Arthur. But, you know, John was in that circle too with the cowboy hat guy. That was like the first time that I think he got to like really experience what we call the spirit of circle. Like he was blown away. It was beyond the circle. We we named it the Steel Magnolia Circle because yes. it was so much. So people don't take out it. It's not that everybody cries. I'm just saying we John called it the Steel Magnolia Circle. And Clara Elliott was in that circle too. Yes, John kept saying, "What just happened? What just happened here?" So you know, moving forward, I think that just sparked something in John wanting to be able to get that down in a book to share with others. And he kept coming for me, man. He kept saying. You know, Circle Mama, I I want to collaborate with you on this book. I want you to help me. I mean it. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, okay. He'd call and ask me about a circle he was planning, and I'd talk him through it. And he'd say, Hey, I wanna, I want you to be part of this book. And and for me, I know you know, a part of of the big thing for me is like trusting people at first. Like I just didn't trust. Like why? What, what do you want from me? One, trust and then value. Like, I'm not good enough to write a book. I, I can't write a book. I'm going to spell all the words wrong. I'm going to, you know, no way. It was so much fear that at times I was paralyzed. He would call and I knew he was calling to talk about that, but I didn't want to. But he was so kind to figure out, you know what, Denise, I want you to just have a conversation with me about, you know, the talking piece. I want you to have a conversation with me about the centerpiece. Why the centerpiece? And little did I know what he was really doing is getting my words recorded that we would then use in the book. I thought that was genius because there was no way you would get me behind a computer trying to type up something for a book. It was really such an honor. And we navigated through trying to figure out how to make it as much about who we are and what Circle really is. I was so scared, Kevin. I just (laughs) feel like, oh my gosh, they're going to like think, who is this woman writing? I know, I'll admit it. I'm horrible at writing. No, well, we all have our strengths. And, and, you know, I know you so well. So the whole point about is, I know what typically gives you anxiety and fear and intimidates you. And so that's why I'm so glad that John was willing to invest having an ordinary conversation with you, right? About extraordinary things. And because you weren't under the context of like, all right, we're going to formally write this, you were natural. So therefore you shared all of your information naturally, which is beautifully well said and recorded and then AKA written down to reflect all of your powerful words. So no, uh, kudos to John. And so that is Classroom Circles. You can find it at ed311ed311.com. Just look under the resources and you can find the book. And so the last thing I'll just say about it was, hey, when y'all did the book signing, what did that feel like? When people showed up to like get the book signed, how did that make you feel as a person inside? Man, I think for once in my life, I felt like, you know what, Denise, you have a gift that God has blessed you with. Uh And um, you are now sharing that with others. And today is your day. Like you ever had that moment where you can say, this is my time. And I get to celebrate me. I don't celebrate me. I celebrate others, right? I want everyone to know that they're awesome. But to when I signed that 
first book to my mom and to see the tears in her eyes Mm -hmm. that, and these were her exact words. She said, my baby made it. Yeah. That I made it. Like I made it. Whatever that looks like, being a girl that came from the hood, a hard life, you know, we struggled big time. Sometimes not having lights on, sometimes not having food, being a student, not being seen, feeling invisible, you know, as my mom worked so hard to try to provide for us, Mm -hmm. uh, working two jobs, we didn't have meals. And to hear her say, I'm so proud of you, you made it. Mm -hmm. But more than anything for me, to be that person that my kids could look to and be proud and know there is absolutely nothing you cannot attain if you don't want it. And I will always speak life into them. And you know why? I had people speak life into me. I had people guide me. Like if I'm going to keep it 100, Kevin, had I gave up on you, And I was ready to give up on you, man. I'm serious. I was ready to give up on you. like, And it wasn't that to give up on you, but to push you back out of my life. Because I'm like, why does this man keep coming for me? What does he want? And I was moments away from just saying, can you just leave me alone already? Mm -hmm. But God placed you in my life so that you could help me see that there is a light and a gift that he placed in me that the world needed. Um, If it wasn't for you, like really hounding me with that, who knows where I would be. But what I will say is I'm exactly where God wants me to be right now, beside my brother. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it. I think, unfortunately, other people value people by either their education their title, the amount of money they make, the way they speak, what clothes they wear. I think for whatever reasons, Denise, I saw so much value in you for what you brought to the table of just human connections. I think people, if you've listened to the show long enough, I was that assistant principal suspending kids, that football former football coach, you know, I could put a tie on, I can impress people, I, you know, I, I, I can play the game and be who you need me to be. I can shapeshift into that code switch, you know, code switch into those things. But at the end of the day, I was leading this initiative that at this point, we had only scratched the surface. And even though I had scratched the surface and I was one of the few voices in the state of Texas that TEA would trust with the UT product to put out in front of administrators, I was honored. But what I couldn't get them to understand is you brought the deeper experience to these practices, these these tools, these circles, and these ideas, and just the idea of community. You brought deeper value to building community than I had tried and attempted in the three years that had white. So for me, you know, when you saw me speak, you were like, whoa, this guy's you know, intimidate. He's, I intimidate. He's well-spoken. He's well-dressed. He's articulate. The people are laughing. You know, you, I remember you sharing me all those. Yeah. And I, go ahead. Yeah. No. Like not just sharing all those. Now, it wasn't like, no, this guy's great. He articulates. 
there was like this, this intimidation I felt about you that was like unexplainable. Like I was curious, here I am saying, you know, in one sense, I want this guy to just leave me the hell along. In the other sense, like intriguing and hearing you speak and what you have to say. And I'll never forget the day you, you told the story about the young ladies on your campus and being who I am, they got into a fight. Some, you know, black females and the mamas, you know, coming up there. I know all about the mamas coming up there because look, my mama would have came up there. But you talked about that mama saying to those young ladies, oh, strong black women don't fight. And the minute you turned around and said, after I heard that mama speak, I wanted to be a strong black woman. You got a white man standing up there doing the training, talking about being a strong black woman. That was all she wrote. And when you got down from that speaking, I said to you, baby, you just took them to church. And here is how, why I say you took them to church. I'm very observant. And so I would just watch the crowd, watch the audience as you were speaking. And people were, maybe they had their, it was like you talked, they had their arms crossed right. or whatever. But as you begin to tell that story and it, see, it was so lifelike, like I could feel like I was there. Oh, those arms came uncrossed. I could see a few people with their Kleenex wiping their eyes. And that, that's me saying, because I want them to get it more than anything. Because for me, I was that young lady fighting. You know what I mean? So I put myself there as a student and all oh, that changed everything. And I was like, man, who is this guy? You just took him to church, but you are also a man of your word. Um, even though you, you came back and we had a conversation and you were like, you know what? I'm going to get you a job in San Antonio. And I was like, yeah, right. I don't know what he's talking about. Get out of here, whatever. But we've been together ever since. And you just have this knack about delivering a message that can truly be felt right where they need to feel it. The heart and the head. So that's really, that's really powerful. And that's what it's about. The heart and the head. When the heart and head come together. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I appreciate that. And, and it's just so funny is because Yes, I remember telling the story. Yes, I know it's one of your favorites. And I remember still coming off and you high-fiving me. You'd say, man, you just took me to church. And then I still remember being in circle with you. And I think that's where the tables turned. My job was to facilitate a circle. My job was to facilitate the training, right? Like I, I was good at what I did, but you took circle to a personal level that I and we have talked about this. Everyone on our team has tried to emulate you. Has set, We've all sat with clipboards. What did Denise ask? How did she ask it? What, and I've tried to explain this to them. You don't have it. She has it. Like She just has that uncanny ability. And I've told you, I believe it's because you have come from such a dark past. And I say that with all respect, that once you broke through the light of 40 something plus years, right, comes out in you. And so as soon as you walk in a room, like, boom, people are like, who's that? Or when you get in front of them, but they don't have a chance when you get closer to the light. So when you're in a circle, you're as close as you can get. Because how many times have I said, right, 
Like I walk into a school building or I go to a district and they meet me and they're like, Mr. Curtis, this is fantastic. We love the message. This is awesome. Our teachers are going to love this. We can't get to their training. And then somehow, you know, during the conversation or in the next meeting or whatever, they're going to meet you. And then once they meet you, they think I'm amazing until they meet you. And then every time it happens, Denise, I walk in the room, they're like, hey, Kevin, how are you? And they're always looking over my shoulder. And I'm like, she's not here. I don't even have to say your name. I already, it happens every single district. It happens oh, every God. single time. And I always look and I said, she's not here. Oh, when's she, she going to be here? And I'm like, I know she, she'll be here shortly or she couldn't make it today. Oh, oh so, so we have you. Yes, you, you, you have the guy you used to be excited about until you met her. Yeah, you, you got me, the, oh, the, the, the pre-excited guy. But no, I say this, Denise, because, you know, when... What people needed to understand was that you did have this gift. And I guess the reason I kept coming at you, and I was by myself, I was a one-man band going out there, doing the state of Texas and doing these things and asking schools, and you were above and beyond what I could even attempt to be and to facilitate circles. And to be honest, I just wanted people to have a real experience with somebody who was not just proficient, you know, I don't want you to say, you know, we don't want to check a box. You've done 30 circles. I'm talking about like somebody that knows how to make this happen. That's why I was like, join me. And, you know, so my persistence was join me because I could just see how much value you would bring, not to me, but to the movement of what we were trying to do to get restorative practices up. And at that time, Denise, all we had was circles. Everything mm. was about circles. And to me, you were the biggest key component in circles I had ever met out of all the restorative practitioners we had come across. So for me, it was about making sure to understand you have value, you have opportunities. I need to get you somewhere where you are valued because just the conversations, we're not putting anyone down, but you just weren't being valued the way I believed you should be and paid for the work that you did. So for me, it was like, if we could get those pieces together, then why not put you in a place for you to set up to be successful. Because if you think about it, Denise, ever since we put you in that co-founder position, ever since we gave you the opportunity and the platform to be, as you said, who you are, think about it. How yeah. much growth have you had, not just professionally, but as a person? So think about it, Denise. We have talked about this multiple times. We have both grown through this restorative journey so far. So let's talk a little bit about like just our self-growth. Because I know at one point, you had this like light bulb epiphany where you were like, Kevin, I'm like rewriting the definitions of certain aspects of my life. So can you take me back to that? Absolutely. You know, you said it earlier, you talked about the breakthrough, right? And I think doing this work, whether it's circle, whether it's connecting, whether it's meeting other people, those connections for me allowed the door to open for the breakthrough for me. Okay. And so when I think about that, you know, connections breakthrough, because then I had to step up and put in that work on self. But it also allowed me every time I sat there and I got to hear the story of someone else, I got to meet that cowboy with that cowboy hat, share in such a vulnerable way that he would have never shared with anyone, I began to truly understand what listening was all about. 
I began to truly understand and grasp the feeling from within of what empathy is. Now we can pull up that dictionary all day long and trust me, I have. And what that definition says of what empathy is, is totally different for me and what empathy is. So I did, I got to rewrite And I talk about this in the book, in the very last chapter, I got to rewrite my dictionary on what empathy, relationships, connections, trust, honesty, chance, taking a chance on something and someone or self, one, and you know, opening up and listen, I, I don't have to all, we talk about it. I don't have to be right, but guess what? I can listen to someone who might know something that could lead me to a place that's better for me, that can be more beneficial, that can show me that I am valuable, that I have self-love. And for the first time in 50 something years, and I just might be at the beginning of the pandemic, I thought, Man, I love myself. Mm. And I can say that. And I'm saying, ooh, I love me some me. I could never imagine opening my mouth and saying that. And as I think about loving myself and I visit it with so many students about loving yourself and you're more than enough, educators, you're good enough. I started thinking, man, you got to believe what you're saying to them, right? Right. And I do. I love myself. So I had to stop being hypocritical and find a way to truly love myself, no matter what it looked like on the the outside. um, I really love me inside, which in turns lets me know there ain't nothing about this outside that I do not love. And I tell you, that's one place in my life that I've always wanted to be and feel for me. And guess what? I got it. Today, I have it. Yeah. I have loved to see, to be a part and experience your growth as a founder, as a co-founder, but as a friend. And just really hear the mature growth moments, much like mine. You know, you, like said, we both have some moments. Oh, I, oh man, my <laughs> brother, look, my brother has done a lot of growing. You know, I think about all that we've been through together, all of our trips and traveling, you know, getting the opportunity to, to for you to meet mom. I'll never forget when you came to her house and she gave you your new your new <laughs> nickname, white chocolate. Oh, honey, that's white chocolate. He might be white on the outside, but oh, he got some soul inside. And so when she says that, I see you as just having that heart that such a giving heart and caring, so soulful, caring about others more than self. But what I love seeing is you taking care of yourself now and the growth that I've seen, like really checking yourself and wanting to know how I can be a better listener. Tell me, I want to know more about that for you. What has that been like, you and I being on this growth journey together? Oh, man. Well, I mean, there's so many aspects professionally and personally that have been moving in the last couple of years. And so, you know, I think I've shared a little bit on the solo episodes, but I mean, I'm re, as you said, I ironically, 
a godly like have found myself redefining what a listening looks like, what empathy looks like, other people's points of views, what trauma looks like, what anxiety looks and feels like, and what it can be like. In addition to that, you know, unconditional commitment. I mean, there's so many little definitions that I feel like it, like you said, it took me 50 years, one, to even figure out where I was on the page of those as a definition of what those meant and were to me, because they weren't really modeled, you know, and I think I didn't have anybody modeling or I didn't, I, other than, like you said, reading a dictionary, I didn't have anybody really telling me how to apply what those things look like. And I'm not making excuses for my choices or my voices. I'm just saying like now, for whatever reason, both of us, you know, turn 51 and all of a sudden we're reflecting, but I, ta- you know, I've said it multiple times through many episodes like what this work has done is given me a lens of intentionality. And when, in other words, like words have intention and therefore if you, whether you intended to or not, I've always said it, the one thing, the biggest thing I've taken was you can't tell someone how they should feel, right? So that was really, really hard for me because evidently I was telling people how they should feel. I'm like, you can't be mad at me because I didn't mean to make you mad. They're like, you just tell me how to feel. I'm like, dang it, I'm doing it again, right? <laughs> I'm talk over people. I wasn't listening. I was listening from here instead of listening from here. And we teach listening from here, from the brain. I'm pointing at the brain, people. Is that this is where you learn to, you know, um, reply, you know, correct. You're already thinking of the next thought where what you have taught me and what this work has taught me is listening from the heart sometimes is just listening to listen. That's hard. It's hard when you don't know how to do that or if you don't practice that. So, There's so many avenues that have allowed me to grow. But I believe, like you said, despite my mistakes and despite other circumstances in society dictating my worth, I love myself today. I'm more proud of myself. I love myself. I understand accountability more than anything else. I reflect a lot. I feel like I finally hit some maturity spots that I never were able to be mature in because I just didn't know what they were. So no, I think uh, without this work, I may have been the same type of person I was 10, 15 or 20 years ago. And so in, in, in a short amount of eight years, nine years since 2012, being just introduced to this concept and this idea. But I do believe practicing it, talking about it, speaking, you know, speaking to others about it, all of those pieces, and then seeing it in action, it like bleeds back over into you. Like using needs, I use needs. We use it all the time. Denise, what do you need, right? We don't just preach and teach this. We actually live out what we're, we're saying and we connect with each other. That's why I try to tell people in the trainings, like we actually do sparks. So when we're in person, we do sparks to start the every meeting. You know, all of these things so that they understand this is a way of living. And what's interesting is, is I remember when we first met and we were working with UT and TEA, and that's what everybody would say. You know, this is a way of being. This is a way of living. Not saying anything derogatory about anybody, but I wasn't seeing that. I was hearing Mm -hmm. that, and then at lunch or after a training, seeing people act or say things different, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I was really proud of the way that we were able to steer our ships of lives and professionally and personally and just combine them. So we, you know, you and I have had many conversations where we're like, all right, let's, let's do third face. 
You know, mm, the, yes. the, the Japanese say you have three faces. One you show only to the people you, you, you know, people that you really know, and then one you never show to anybody. So sometimes we have to have third face conversations. And we're able to do that because of the connectedness that we have in this relationship through the work. And to me, I am just so thankful for the work. I'm so thankful for the opportunities to personally grow, but I'm also just thankful for the opportunity to have somebody like you in my life. For me, I think that's the, the one of the biggest things for me is to be able to have those tough conversations with people and not take it out of context. Like I never knew what that was like. You know, I came from a family where my mom and dad fought and argued. And so that was my normal, right? Is that when you get mad at each other, you argue, cuss, fight, whatever it is. That was just my normal people. Was, that's what I grew up thinking was, that's how you handled conversations. Mm-hmm. But what I appreciate is understanding that we can have disagreements and you and I keep it 100. Mm-hmm. And usually I say, all right, I'm gonna keep it 100 with you, but you know, <laughs> this A, B, C, D, but we can work it out because we have grown. It's like, we've been on this journey together, understanding you, understanding my growth, me understanding your growth, but also us growing together as a unit has really helped me know what that looks like. And I don't think ever in my life, any marriages or relationships that I have ever been in that I truly understood what healthy communication looked like, even in the eye of a horrible disagreement. And so I'm so thankful that I'm learning this and I'm still learning. I like it sometimes you, I get on the phone and you're like, am I listening or I'm fixing? <laughs> listening or fixing? Okay, you're just listening, fixing. But your fixing is never, I'm gonna fix it. Your fixing is always asking me, and sometimes it irritates me, It's always asking me questions that lead me to fix it myself. (laughs) Like, it's like you're setting me up, you know, so uh, like the trash, like, you know, what we talked about, the trash, you were like, Uh well, why don't you think about having a community uh, Saturday pickup thing? You're asking me questions that guide me to fix it myself. And I really like that about our relationship. No, that's awesome. No, I do too. I think when you can connect with somebody and you can get that vulnerability and the ability to trust them, as you said, the trust that you and I've been able to build, it's come through experiences. And I think that's where trust happens. And so, you know, thank you for, for trusting in me and, and, and trusting in the process of what we do and your, and your commitment to this work. You know, I will say, I want to make sure we have an opportunity because we're going to start wrapping up here shortly I just want you to kind of just talk a little bit about when you, because you talked about earlier about connecting with parents and kids, right? And so I know some school districts have asked you to share some strategies, ideas, and I know you're, you, you are offering, a, a, you know, for, through us a training, but what, what do you, when you look at what can parents and students do at home or what some of the suggestions and just quick tips that you could do them that would give them an idea of how we can help build them connection, build those connections in the home in the middle of this pandemic when everybody may be stuck at home with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And so actually this is going to go back to that extraordinary and ordinary conversation that we were talking about. Many parents feel like we, sometimes you have that sense of guilt because we're not spending that time with our kids that we need to be, or that we feel we need to be. So then we overcompensate 
in one area of, all right, I'm going to buy them the nicest, this, that, whatever, the nicest iPhone. And that's going to get my kid where I want them to be in terms of our relationship. But honestly, when we take it right back to just simple, ordinary things that parents can do with their kids at home, they would be shocked. And I'm talking simple things like, imagine your student getting in some trouble or having a bad grade and you having to have that conversation with them about that, but they just got off the bus and someone just pissed them off. And then they come home and you're ready to talk to them about their bad grade. Guess what might happen? You guys are probably going to get in an argument. But what if we just did those check-ins with our kids? Or our kids did check-ins with us. What we call our tool is a pulse meter. You know, where are you right now? Red, yellow, green, yellow, I'm really happy. Green is go. And so we check in with our family on a regular basis in the mornings. Maybe it's something you post on the refrigerator so that we know, all right, mom didn't have a good day at work today. So maybe this isn't the time to ask if I can go to the movies with my friends. Simple, ordinary things that cost no money. A note in their lunchbox that says, have a great day. You know, we call those just affirming, positive sparks. We can do those at home, right? Absolutely. And when we bring those ordinary things back to the center of family, guess what? We get to go back and build that foundation from which we built it on. I think everybody is kind of disconnected in family right now with everything going on. We've got, we're in a pandemic. Kids are teaching at home. Some are home, some are at school. Parents are trying to figure out how they're going to make it. But this pandemic or no pandemic, we can bring ordinary back to the center of family so that we can reconnect, repair, and rejoice the love that we have for family, no matter who they are, grandma, uncle, mom, dad, brother, sister. And then sometimes there's other things that we might need to do, treatment agreements. But if we bring it back to simple little nuggets of ways that family can reconnect, let's call it reconnect with one another, that really might be the breakthrough that a lot of families are looking for. Wow, I like I said, I believe that we have you lead the students and the parents and the community on purpose because you're such a profound connector for those people that are looking for ways that are just outside the school. And so we'll kind of wrap up with, if you're interested in learning more about what Denise has talked about and you are a parent at home or you have kids at home or you want to know more about that, just reach out to us. Denise's email is circlemama, that's C-I-R-C-L-E-M-A-M-M-A at N-E-D-R-P.com. I believe, Denise, I think our 50th episode was much better than first. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. I love it. I'm so glad we got to do a redo. And and that's (laughs) one thing I want everybody to know. In life, in relationships, in our classroom environments, in connections, there's always a redo. We don't have to settle for what we have right there because we got it wrong. We can always redo it. And here's what I want to leave with you guys. Take the time to be intentional about making those necessary connections 
so that we can have those necessary breakthroughs that we are all needing right now. Wow. All right, everybody. That has been our 50th episode. Five zero. Super pumped to excited for you as a listener to follow us along the way. And I couldn't think of a better person to celebrate 50th with than my best friend and my partner and my co-founder and the person I value in life more than anyone else. And so just tell you, Denise, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being along my sidekick when at times on the podcast, when you can squeeze me in between your circles. But listen, folks, we are here for you, whatever it is. We know teachers are struggling, parents are struggling, students are struggling. We may not have the answers, but I guarantee you, we are good, but not just good. We're great listeners. We really are. are yeah. fun. We are phenomenal at listening. And if you want to feel valued, seen, or heard, just reach out to us for anything that you need. Hey, thanks for tuning into this podcast. We will see you next time. Thank you, Kevin.